as usual, I want to remind you, if you've missed any of those parts, you can go back. We've got them all archived. You can check them out week one through three to get you up to speed and uh, tell you what's going on here. <clears throat> We've got the forward booth back there. Pastor Jamie's all set and ready to receive you. And also, you found one of these in your chair, and this is uh, creative ways to give. We just want to go ahead and get this into your hand. As you know, we're preparing for uh, the miracle weekends that we have coming up here very, very soon and uh, uh, we'll be giving you more information about that. But we want to get this material into your hands ahead of time so you can be praying, thinking of creative ways that you can uh, be jumping on board with the, the forward campaign. <clears throat> well, tomorrow, uh, uh, So this morning, I want to talk to you about obeying God's voice, all right? Obeying God's call. So up to this point, what we've been talking about, just kind of pulling it all together here for a moment, we've been talking about vision and why vision is so important. Vision is critical. And we learned that vision, as a matter of fact, the, the scripture teaches us that without vision, people perish. That's what the Bible tells us. But it, it also means, it doesn't mean you're going to drop dead, but it does mean you're going to diminish. It means you're going to get a little lost. It means you're going to, and when you're lost, then that is going to possibly bring a measure of spiritual death or soul death. <clears throat> it, you're going to get off the course. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. God has something wonderful for every one of us to be a part of his plan and it's called vision. There is what is called fantasy and dreams. But vision is something that comes from God. And it becomes a reality when we step through those doors of faith. Then we talked about what is important. How do we start walking in that vision? Well, the first thing we need is to learn surrender to God. Surrender to the vision giver. And since vision comes from God, we know that as believers, we're called to follow him. You know, I don't like, and I hardly use the word Christian anymore in my language because I feel like it's been somewhat redefined by our culture, but what I think and love better is a Christ follower. And when we talk about following Christ, that's really what we're getting to the heart of the matter here is being a Christian is a Christ follower. And so what are we following? Well, we're following the ways of Christ, but we're following his specific pathway for each one of us, his pathway for us as a local church, and God has a vision for us. And we've been sharing that. We've been talking about the details of the expansion and what we're getting ready to do and how each one of us, living stones toward that process, how we're moving forward to do something miraculous in our community. And so living that sacrificial life, we learned that it wasn't just a one-time deal where we come and say, Jesus, you're my Savior and Lord, amen. All right? I love you, Lord, and when that changes, I'll let you know. Uh-uh. No, being a Christian is every day waking up and surrendering to the, to, to the Lord, so re-surrendering. We talked about Abraham, how he was a perfect example of that, of how he had to lay down his, the life of his child, his, even his, his future, his progeny, his legacy was being laid down. And God said, no, I tested your heart and I see that you want to live a surrendered life to me. And so that's what we're called to. In the vision, called to surrender to follow him. Last week, we talked about hearing from God learning to hear the voice of God. If you missed that one, I encourage you to go back and get it. I'm actually going to come back and I'm going to reteach on that because I want to go a little deeper because I believe that is so critical, so important to a Christian's walk, especially today, being able to hear the voice of God for you individually, for us to hear the voice of God corporately. And that's where we are. We've been listening. I've been, as your pastor, been listening to God. God, what are you telling me for the last couple of years? Lord, setting things up, lining things up of what he's called us to do and to, to, to take that next step to move forward. And so, but I can't do this alone. We've got to do this together. And what's important for us to do that together is, first of all, you being comfortable with your ability to hear from God. 
So share that with you last week and, and, and how important that is and how you can hear and God intends to talk to you. Today we're going to talk about obeying, excuse me, obeying the voice of God. When God speaks to you, what do you do with it? So incredibly important. So before I get into that, I encourage you to be praying. Pray for Valley. Pray for us. Pray for the leadership. Pray for for me and my family as we're moving forward in this. Of course, you're going to experience some some heat. You're going to be some spiritual warfare. There's going to be some resistance. Talk a little bit about that today. And so be praying. Be praying about the details for the elders as we're going through the details and, and pulling all that together as we move toward what we call our commitment weekend. So February 28th, the Thursday night, and March the 3rd, we're going to, as we've talked about, we're going to come together and we're going to bring our pledges to what we believe that God has called each one of us to do in this campaign. So we'll be coming back to that um, real soon uh, in the next Next Sunday and the Sunday after, we'll be pulling this all together for you. But today, I want to look at the power of obedience. And I love that, power of obedience, because what we're going to learn is that to release the power of God in your life, it begins with obedience. Absolutely does. When we obey the voice of God, God, God's calling in your life. When you step into the vision and the calling for your life and for us as a corporate body, God releases some amazing power. And I'm going to tell you how that happens. You know, Jesus said this in his word in John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus answered them and he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Also, in another translation, he will keep my commands. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is saying, look, the essence of what we're really talking about is love. See, that's the beautiful part about what being a Christ follower is. We are not doing this in in compulsion. We're not doing this because our lives are being threatened. We're not doing this because, you know, there is some uh, uh, entity that is forcing us to do this. Not at all. This is a loving relationship. This is someone who we celebrated this morning, who laid his life down for us, who died on the cross for you and me. And now he is saying, look, follow me. And Paul's response to that was, man, we're living sacrifices. What is our response to this? To give everything, because he already gave all. And so Jesus said, look, if you love me, and and that's what he's coming back to. He's saying, look, I love you, and I'm showing you my love. And, And we respond to that love. And how do we respond with love? I mean, love is not just words, is it? I mean, if I just tell my wife that I love her and I never show her my love, then it's just words. And so when God, and that's what Jesus is saying, look, this is no different than any other human relationship. This is what it's all about, his love for us and our response in love. And what is our response? To, this is what Jesus said, to obey his words, to obey his words. Now, you may say, well, that seems kind of controlling and, you know, and, and very you know, uh, controlling sovereign type thing. Uh-uh. No, this is Jesus saying, look, Obey my word because it is the best thing for you. If you obey my words, then you will be able to come into my love, experience my love, experience my goodness, because no one knows how much more of what you and I need than God himself. He designed you. Jesus said that the Father knows every hair on your head. You know, I felt that in communion this morning, the great love of God this morning for you. And our response simply is to say, well, Lord... (laughs) 
how can I do anything other than to follow the one who loves me the most? And he's got wonderful plans for every one of us. So obedience is in the process, of course, surrendering. It's listening and then acting. James pulls it together a little tighter for us there in, in chapter 2 in verses 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is communicating the importance. Of course, the, the, what he's, he's using as the analogy of, is, is a benevolent heart, is a giving heart, is a, a sensitivity to those in need around us, which of course is absolutely key. But there, the, the deeper issue here is obedience. It's that our faith needs to be acted upon. And, and, and do we have enough evidence to incriminate us? Let's put it that way. To incriminate us as being Christ followers. Would somebody save your life if they observed it you are a Christ follower, would they accuse you of it? Or would they be encouraged by it? Either way, there's evidence. And obedience is how we get there. And how, is, and how do we get there? It's through love, knowing that he loves us so much that we want to obey his commands. We want to do what he's called us to do. And James says, look, this is part of it. And, and the whole benevolent heart and the giving and taking care of the poor and all that, of course, is exactly what Jesus did. So that is going to be one of the many ways that that will be exemplified. Folks, obedience is key to our faith being released. So faith is just, it's kind of like a dynamo. It's like, it's like power that resides within us, our belief. But our, relief, our belief does not become something active and alive and world-changing until we act upon it, until we take a step. Can we move out? Can we move forward? So it's when we obey that God, what God tells us to do is what that real connection is here, feet to faith. That's why it's so critical that if we fail to obey, we fail to see the power of God. So a lot of people want to say that. They kind of twist on God a little bit and to say, well, look, I will, Lord, let's make a deal here. If you do such and such for me, then I'll obey. It's not the way it works. It's not the way the Bible teaches us. Jesus said, look, obey my commands, follow me, and then you will see me there. You will, I will show up when you need me. I will be there. I love that C.S. Lewis, that, that uh, 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 the lion. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why his, his, word, his name just slipped in my mind, but Aslan, you know, he says he shows up when he's going to show up, when the need is, that the, the time comes. He comes when the, the direst moment. He comes when you need him. That's our God. The exact same analogy. But when we fail to follow and listen, folks, we, we forfeit the opportunity for a powerful moment from God, for a miracle. That's exactly right. So obedience, we're going to look at obedience and why we don't always walk in it here this morning. We're going to take a, a somewhat of a broad brush on that. But before we get to that, I want to share a story with you. Because as a young believer, I learned this idea of delayed obedience, or obedience that was, um, wasn't, wasn't complete. 
And so here I was. I was young, you know, young, early 20s, and uh, studying for the ministry. And I was at my Bible college, and I was at the dorm, and I had a job in a restaurant nearby. And uh, one, you know, and I used to work there, and I worked very hard, and for the few little shekels I got for it. And, uh, but while I was working there at the restaurant, there was a dishwasher. His name was Daryl, and Daryl was the vilest man I've ever known in my life, okay? Every word that came out of his mouth was a cuss word. It was an expletive. He didn't say anything about a dish, about another person, about his time that he was working there that did not involve a very vile word. People talked about him. The, the, the ladies, there were all the uh, uh, waitresses, talked about him all the time. They wanted to stay away from him. They creeped him out. But I got a special challenge when I saw Daryl. I did not, because he would come up, and if you gave him something, he would say, thank you very much, you bleep, you know. And so I remember just kind of pushing past that. And, hey, how you doing? I kind of enjoyed stirring him up a little bit. Hey, how you doing, Daryl? Right. So I remember one time I would just go out of my way because everybody else would just throw the, the dishes you know, out there all, and I would make sure I had them all scraped, and I'd, I'd bring them over to a stack to him to just kind of get into his stuff a little bit. Never said thank you. Well, one night we had a huge snowstorm down in Fayetteville, North Carolina, believe it or not. About 16 inches of snow were dumped in Fayetteville. Shut the city down, as you can imagine. But this guy still had snow tires on his car from Michigan. So there it was. They started letting everybody go, and everybody was just going, well, I got to get out of here. I gotta. And I was like, well, look, I can stay. I can get through this stuff. I'm used to driving the snow. So I stayed, and Daryl stayed. So at the end of the night, it was just me and Daryl. And as the night went on and on, the, way, you know, the, the manager came and said, look, I got to lock up. You guys got to go. And so I said, well, okay. And I looked at Daryl, and he was kind of sheepishly kind of hanging over there in the corner. And I walked over, and I said, Daryl, you... You got a ride? He goes, no, man, I'm not going to be able to get out of here. I said, well, you can't stay here. I said, look, let me just drive you back. So I'll take you back to my dorm. We got an extra bed for you. Why don't you just hang out with us? And you could tell, man, the guy was dying. He did not want to do it. But he was just like, well, I got no, and the the manager's like, make up your mind. Let's go. You got to get out. So he got in my car, took him over to the dorm, got him back there. I fed him. We both had a sandwich together. And the whole time, he's just kind of looking down. I'm just kind of reaching for the guy, and in my heart, I'm going, oh, my gosh, i got a wonderful uh, a moment to share the gospel with, with Daryl. And yet in my heart, I was, I was restrained because I did not want the ridicule. I did not want all the vileness that was going to come out of him. And every attempt I made to kind of ask him a few personal questions, it was, you know, it was immediately met with that wall. And so I was just like, oh. So, you know, he slept that night. The next morning, he kind of hung out. He kind of hung up by himself. I had things to do, working on school and all. Then as they cleared the roads, I was able to get him home that afternoon. Of course, as it does in North Carolina, it warmed up super warm the next day. And then a lot of it was melting off. So I, I was able to take him to his house. And I got him right there in front of his house. And I looked at him, and I had just that one little moment, like just overwhelmed with just the opportunity to share the gospel. And I couldn't quite do it. But and everything inside me says, David, share. All I could really get out is, Daryl, why are you so mean? And he just said, and he just said, yeah, he just kind of mush mouthed. He didn't really say anything. And I finally said, well, tell me a story. I mean, you know, what do your mom and dad do? Well, my dad's a pastor. Wake up, you know, and I'm just thinking, going, well, this is interesting. And I went to kind of, and I kind of worked around it, but I never quite shared the gospel with him. And, and, and he got out of the car and he was going away. I was just going, man, you coward. Doggone it. Well, I was catching the next time. 
well, a couple of days went past. I went back to work, and I, want, I was going to punch in to go for my, my time for the day, and there was, a, there was a bucket there, and it said, flowers for Daryl. Yeah. Daryl, and I said, well, what's this all about? So I asked one of the waitresses who walked by, and she said, I said, what's, what's this? You didn't hear? Daryl was killed yesterday. Head-on car collision, immediately killed, 18 years old. And I got to tell you, I was crushed. I was crushed. I stood looking at that bucket for a good while and realized I had the opportunity to share the gospel with this young man. And I didn't do it. Now, you may say, well, and, and, and you might expect that God, and, and even in my heart, it was go to the Lord and just say, well, man, I failed the biggest test that a young minister could ever go through. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't listen to your voice. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. But the Lord really comforted me. And he just said, David, I just want to show you that, yes, this was an opportunity for you. And, yes, you missed it. But I never want you to miss it again. I said, yes, sir. And I don't know. The Lord really comforted me. He said, David, you did what I asked you to do. On one level, you were partially obedient. You loved him. And who knows that through my insistence of never giving up, who knows that the fact that I put him up that night, who knows that between that day that he got out of the car and the last thing he saw with the headlights of another car coming at him, that at some point he had cried out to God, I don't know. I'll know when I get there. I'll know when I get there. But folks, I use this story to illustrate this. That partial obedience isn't obedience. That we're given opportunities to do something for God. And God is ready to speak to us and implant in our heart vision and ideas and opportunities. That if we miss them, then we miss something wonderful, something powerful, something that will release the power of God. Now, it's interesting, I did. I didn't share this in the other service, but I've shared this story for 30-some years. And even though there was a failure, it still has impact. And as a result, doggone it, if not every one of those waitresses and busboys in that place got the gospel, you can God know that's for sure. I invited seven different other employees, two or three different uh, managers to services at Manichurch. I was not going to miss it again. So you see, delayed obedience, in some ways, is just as bad as disobedience. But I want to look at that a minute, because I think there are two different kinds. There's, there's a direct disobedience, and that is when we dig our heels in, and we know what the Bible says, and it's made very clear, and we just say, I know that's what it says, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's direct disobedience. And that's going to, of course, cause a certain fallout that's going to be a, a certain you know, struggle or impact in your life. But I don't think that's where most Christians or Christ followers really dwell or really live. I think we struggle with what I struggled with, and that is partial obedience. And let's talk about that just for a minute. Or, or delayed. Delayed obedience. In other words, that we know what we're supposed to do, but we wait. And, it's, and Paul talked about that. He says, you know, when we forfeit doing the good we know to do in our heart, we miss an opportunity. 
And so that is so what really God is after, that God will create in us a sensitivity to his leading, a sensitivity to his voice, which we've already talked about, but, but now obeying when he speaks to us, when he says, okay, look, I need you to go. I need you to move. I need you, I need you to deploy you as my special forces believer in this situation. And that's exactly what we are. So you think about the special forces, these guys that are highly trained, these men and women, and wherever they go, Navy SEALs, Delta Force, whatever the the different groups of of these special ops guys are, they're put in situations where they, look, you don't question what you've been told to do. They drop you in, you've got an objective, you get it done. Nobody stops and says, well, have they really thought this through? Before I go busting through that door, you know, uh uh-uh. Delayed obedience means what in many cases? death, failure, exposure, perhaps even bringing other people's lives into danger. No, we've got a mission. And is our mission to transform this world by the gospel of Jesus Christ any less important than any one of those missions we ever read about or hear about? Absolutely not. We've got the greatest mission. Because out those doors, my friends, are many Daryls. Many people whose lives are in the balance of whether they're going to choose or not choose. And they're, 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 they're in a situation where they're just waiting for a believer who will be deployed because of the Holy Spirit's leading to share the gospel, to share the love, to show the love of Jesus in a practical way, or be able to reap the harvest of that soul at that very moment. Is our mission any less critical? No way. No way. Well, many of us have waited. We've done that. Something sparked in our heart during worship. Maybe something sparked in as we were reading the word of God. Maybe we're like, I got really excited about missions, and then I backed off when the next trip was put together, didn't sign up. Perhaps I was really inspired to do something where I I really knew that maybe I need to jump in and and serve maybe once every six weeks in the children or to do some guest work or or to lead a small group. And we got really excited. We got that sense of the the move of the Holy Spirit. We we know it's God. It came with confidence. It came came with a sense of of real opportunity. And yet then in time, we, we, we backed off. We've all done that. God wants to help us. And a lot of times what it comes down to is if we really get intelligent in our delayed obedience, well, did God really say that? Is that what God really meant? And we begin to question, you know, what it is, and that's kind of what we will often do. We'll make a resolve. We'll make a a, a statement of faith. We'll, We'll dig in and say, I know this is what God has called me to do. But instead of putting on the blinker signal and taking the turn, we keep going straight. God wants to help us. He wants to teach us. He wants us to know that by obeying him in these three ways, real quickly, and that's exactly how to do it, is quickly, quietly, and completely. Quickly meaning that we don't have that delayed obedience, that when God speaks and, we have, and we've cleared it with the Bible, we know that it's wisdom, we know that it's, it's faith, we know that it's a good thing, we know that it's confirmed by the inner witness, we know it's confirmed in the word, then we go, we move, we make it happen quickly. And then quietly. We don't have to trumpet, we don't have to, you know, film ourselves doing it, doing a selfie, hey, look at me, I'm obeying God here, you know. 
You don't have to go and, and, and make a big deal out of it. You should make a big deal out of it. Because in many ways, when we do make a big deal out of it, we, we trump our pride and we get into this situation where we kind of lose the reward of what it was all about. We so we don't want to do that. And then thirdly, completely. To not do just half the job. We've all been there, right, where you've asked somebody to do something, and they only did part of the job, and it leaves you with a sense of frustration because, like, I can't enjoy what I've asked you to do because you only did part of it. And maybe the other person's thinking, well, you should enjoy the part I did. Well, we're talking the perfect God, and God is saying, look, I, when I call you to do something, I want you to do it all. I want you to do all that I've called you to do because I would not have put that in front of you if I didn't think that that was the best for you. And... Coming back to this truth, the obedience releases the miraculous power of God in our lives. So God has said it this way. They call it the kingdom of the upside down. You know, as a a father, that's the way I've raised my children to obey first, then ask why. Now, that's not just to be a controlling, controlling dad. No, it's so that I train my children to obey not only me as the authority in their life, but I'm going to trans- transition that authority to their living God one day, and I want them to do the same with him. That when God speaks to them and he says, look, this is what I want you to do. I want them to obey first, then ask why. Because it could be a life or death situation, especially with little children, but even more complicated as we grow older and we become more at good at bypassing God. I hate to say it, but that's exactly what we become. We become professional at questioning God, professional bypassers of the way. We need to unlearn all that. We need to unlearn that. In many ways, the smarter we are, the less useful we are. Did you just say that? Yeah, I did. I can back it up. What did Jesus do? He said, look, you know what I want you to be like? Bring that little child over here. Come here, little buddy. Come on. Sit on my seat. Sit on my lap. Guys, if you want to follow me, you need to be like him. Simple, trusting, obedient, kind, gentle, and uncomplicated. That's the pathway. That's how we get there. What's another way or another reason why we fail to obey? Well, it's fear. Yeah, I mean, at the heart of it, fear is the thing that shuts so many of us down. And I understand. I was there. It was because of fear that I did not share the gospel with, with uh, Daryl. It was because I was afraid of how he would treat me. I was, I was afraid of what? Rejection. We've all been there. We've all been in a situation where we've been fearful of somebody. Some of you, you know, 5 to 7% of you out there, you've got an evangelistic you know, call on your life, and you're going, man, what a ridiculous thing. I mean, I share the gospel all the time, and I'm bold, and I do it. Amen, you got the gift. The rest of us, it's tough. It's tough. Fear is definitely what robs us. And often because why? It's because God, when it comes to obeying God, is calling us out of our comfort zone. God doesn't usually call us to do something that's easy. (laughs) Boy, have I learned that. Man, have I ever learned that. God calls us to do something that's difficult, that requires him in order to make it happen so that all glory will be given to him. And 
do, but do we get to share in the glory? Absolutely, because it was through our obedience. It was through our faith. It was through our cooperation, our connection with our daddy who lets us share in his glory as a result of being obedient. But this fear thing, folks, we got to go after this. And there's four different things that I'll mention, four, four fears that do tempt us to disobey God. The first one is the fear of failure. The fear of failure consistently limits millions of believers. And that is just, it's simple as it sounds. We're fearful that if we get out there, we're going to do something and we're going to fall flat. That we're going to step out. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, I'm going to commit to something only to find out that the leadership is going to come back and say, yeah, it's kind of not what we were really looking for. Or that you get out there and you begin sharing your faith or you begin, you know, trying, maybe trying to lead a small group or you try to do something that you're just, you know, moving forward in your faith with God that we're f- afraid that we're going to be ridiculed or we'll be made fun of or we'll say, well, man, man, you don't know much of the Bible. Something like that can really shut us down. And that's not good. Because the truth is, didn't Jesus say to his disciples, look, when you go before the Sanhedrin, I'm going to give you the words to speak. I'm going to give you the confidence. And it's amazing. I'll say this very, very quickly. But when I went to Bible college, I was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I know that's hard to admit. But I tell you what, I was among a lot of geniuses. And it made me feel about that big. And these guys were, I mean, several of these guys went on to get their doctorates, okay? Come on, give me a break. I'm joking there. Uh, One guy went out to the University of Jerusalem, got his doctorate there. Another guy who's now a brain surgeon, okay? So they were smarts. And I just felt like that big. But you know what? I didn't let that hold me back. Because as I was turning in Bs and B pluses on some of my papers and stuff like that, I was the only one who raised my hand and said, okay, well, I'll go and do that. We need a worship leader, okay? We need somebody to go do that. I'll do it. God's not looking for the sharpest knife in the drawer. God's not looking for the most intelligent. God is not looking for the most influential. God is not looking for anybody who will just say, well, I don't know if I can do this, but I know through God I can. I know it's just like David who walked out onto the battlefield to take on the Goliath. When everybody else would not, one would move to even go and take him on. Even their best soldiers would not go to take him on. But little David walked out there and said, well, he just, what are you guys doing? He's mocking our God. I can take him. But he didn't say, I can take him with, I can take him. He said, I can take him because God's got my back. Because I am stepping up for God himself. Fear of failure is what can shut us down. Second fear is the fear of success, the opposite, opposite side of the coin. You know, we're fearful that if we do succeed, what does that mean? Whew. This is complicated. And I'll try to explain it to you as best I can. But success, I found this as a counselor a lot of times that we're fearful of actually succeeding because what it means is we have to offload our failures. And we derive a lot of identity from our failures. We do. We've kind of grown comfortable with them. And we kind of have begun to use them as excuses. And that gets people out of our face. We'll say, well, you know, I'm, well, you know I'm this. Or let me just use a general, uh, well, you know I'm broken. Well, I really don't care if you're broken. God doesn't care if you're broken. Yeah, but what if, what if he heals me? Well, then it means you're good to go. 
It means you get to go on and, and change the world. It means you get to experience a whole lot of more stuff than just sitting on your rear end watching television and stupid television shows where all you do is experience life vicariously through a bunch of actors who have no clue how to live life. Come on. Don't you want to live the life? Don't you want to breathe air and experience the final frontier yourself? Don't you want to take on some stuff and see demons tremble when you speak in Jesus' name? Do you want to not see the darkness flee from your family? Do you not want to see some stuff that goes on that they actually write books about? The cool thing is the people who do that are not celebrated on the news, are not talked about in your history books, but they're the quiet ones who go to heaven who and her will be cheered when that day comes. A lot of them won't even look like us, to be honest. Fear of success. A lot of times we don't want to do it because we, 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 what does that really mean? Well, that gets into the next one, fear of man. Fear of man, that's what I experienced. I was fearful of what man might say to me, and we do the same thing. We're fearful of criticism. We're fearful of, of people rising up and saying, well, what are you trying to do, be some kind of a spiritual giant or something? No, I just want to follow Jesus. We're fearful of criticism. We're fearful of our life being changed. We're fearful of going on and, and maybe up, upsetting, you know, the balance, the delicate balance of what your life is. Folks, you're not called to a comfortable life. The sooner you learn that, the happier you're going to be. You know, when I brought my family here, you know, you're going to, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me get through these fears. Fear of man, then the fear of the future. This one is big as well, no doubt. When God asks us to do something that doesn't make sense to us, we begin to start thinking ahead, don't we? That's where the thinking man, that is when the, the, the wisdom person, which I dedicated most of my life to, of trying to grow in wisdom, that wisdom and faith, they, I have found they don't always mix well. Because wisdom begins questioning and saying, okay, so you're asking me to do this. Well, Lord, I can see about five different principles that are being violated here. And God says, no, they're not. Because what I'm asking you to do is to follow my voice. I'm asking you to do this. Now, God would never ask us to violate a biblical principle. But a lot of times, we have thought ourselves into a corner. We have thought ourselves into a very comfortable place. And God is saying, look, I'm ready to get you out of there now. I'm ready to move you out. I'm ready to change how you think about things, about how you think about your money, how you think about your marriage, how you think about yourself, how you think about your work, your vocation, your future. And we are afraid of the future. Man, people make billions of dollars playing upon our fear of the future. They sure do. And we are called as believers not to fear the future. Our future is in his hands. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? It's in his hands. Life, death, everything. Him. My times are in his hands. And we've done that. I've, done, I've been there. I've succumbed to it. I've been in a situation where that can happen, where you begin to second guess. Again, in my, in, in my coming here in, uh, 15 years ago, I began to think of my future, and I had those appeals. Well, David, think of your future. I'm going, okay, I'll think about my future, but my future is in his hands. If I take my future into my own hands, 
what ends up happening is we shortchange ourselves. And we take the mediocre, we take the almost, and exchange it for the very, very best and miraculous that God has in store for us. I want to finish in reading from Joshua in three quick points with that. Joshua 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Joshua had a choice. Now, if you know the backstory on this, Joshua is taking over a very obstinate people. And Moses, they totally had forfeited, talk about delayed obedience, talk about disobedience, the opportunity 20 years ago to be able to go into the promised land. They're standing at the Jordan. They send over the spies. The spies come back, and only two say, the rest of them are going, man, there are giants over there. Man, it's too difficult. I don't know. Only two, Caleb and this guy right here, Joshua, say, well, we can take them. I mean, what's wrong? And I could just see this going through his mind and maybe even speaking. It wasn't recorded this way, but this is what I would expect Joshua to say, to stand in front of the people and say, are you kidding me? We just saw Moses stick a, a stick on a rock and water came out. We have just watched God provide bread and put it on the ground every single morning for 20 years to feed us. We saw quail come in by the millions to feed us. We saw the largest standing army on the planet get destroyed right in front of us to the point where it absolutely upset the world powers at the time. We saw frogs and gnats. We saw animals dying. We saw the firstborn of every Egyptian and die, and ours not. You're kidding me that we're not going to go over and do what God has told us to do? They dug their heels in. And so everyone in that generation, except Caleb and Joshua, all died. And now the next generation has their chance. They have learned that delayed obedience, that disobedience, forfeited their opportunity to experience the miraculous. Obedience releases the power and brings us into a destiny that God has planned. Now they got another chance. Now this time, Joshua is very smart. And of course... God speaks to him, and he says, look, only be strong and courageous and do exactly what I tell you. Keep this book of the law in your mouth. And Joshua's just, Joshua is more militant than Moses. He was the right man for the job. So there are three things that we learn from Joshua's life and Joshua's experience here real quickly. Number one, this is in your notes, believe God is for you. Joshua had to know that, and that's what God told him. He said, look, I'm with you. I am going to be with you every step of the way. And Joshua believed him. And that's exactly what we need to do in our life. When we take these steps of obedience, when we begin to move forward in what God has called us to do, whether it be individually here or us as a a corporate body to build that building and expand what God has called us to do, then it's going to take obedience. It's going to take working together. It's going to take trusting that this is the heart of God and that God likes us. And you say, well, how do you put that together? I'll tell you exactly how. Did you know that God is looking on the face of the earth at all times? And he's looking for those who are taking what he said seriously, who are doing what he's called us to do. And I am bound and determined that when God looks down, that he catches us in Roanoke Rapids, Weldon, North Carolina, and said, well, there they are. Those people want to do what I've called them to do. 
that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it together. And we're all going to be blessed as a result of it. I know this with all of my heart. God is for us. He has his best interests in mind. And you know what's cool? Is we get to be blessed because we take a step of obedience. But what does that mean to those people out there? What does it mean to, to, for the Darrells? What does it mean for those people out there who have yet to hear the gospel, who, not, who, who have yet to have an opportunity for you and I to share the love of Jesus, whether it be in a practical way out there or ask him to come back here where we can love on him, we can teach him, we can show him the best way, we can teach them in our small groups, we can love them, we can gather around them, we can pull them out of this world that is dying a very rapid death and introduce them to the Savior. Matthew 7. Real quickly, ver quick verses. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Great promise. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> That's Paul's conclusion to the whole gospel story. Who can be against us? We're standing at the river too. We're going. Who can stop? what God has intended for our region. Who? I believe, you and I believe, that God is good and he's got good intended. Number two, don't believe a negative report because you know a negative report will come. Whenever you determine to do something for God, there's going to be that negative report. It's amazing. The moment I had decided to come here to Roanoke Rapids to, to take Emmanuel Worship Center now, Valley Community Church. The moment I had decided to step away from a very comfortable situation that, that, that I was at to come here to do what God had called me to do, the negativity came. Not only the things that I heard, well, man, that city smells. You don't want to go there. The city's in its, in its dying. It's spiraling down. You don't want to go there. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do it. It was amazing how much had come. And then the biggest thing at all that, that I had to struggle with was knowing that I was going to have to cut my salary in half in order to come. And it was like, okay, here we go, Lord. And it's amazing how God did. God, God made me commit and obey first, and then I found out all the other information. I love the way God does that. Got to love him. But then, over that next year, I did my taxes at the end of the year, and I looked over what had happened, and this is what is amazing, is that God supplied every dime back to my family, and not a dime came from this church. Miraculous ways. I began, and I remember looking at it and just weeping and just saying, God, you're amazing. How, when I commit, when I obey your voice, you release, release miraculous powers, miraculous events around me that I can only say, look at you, God, you're amazing. Because that's what God does. But don't believe that. You know, Joshua faced it. You know, he had a few times people rise up, but nothing like Moses' uh, battle. They tell him the inhabitants of that land are big, but he says, well, yeah, but our God's bigger. Does anything ever good ever come from Nazareth? Yes, it does. In fact, something very wonderful came from Nazareth. And then finally, just do it. When we hear the voice of God and we confirm it in his word, in prayer and through godly counsel, if we need, we just do it. 
Don't live in the fear of what others may say, may think, or may do. Again, obedience precedes the miraculous. That's the way it always is going to be. That's the way it's always going to be. Folks, we're going to be given an opportunity to do just that together as a church. I want you to continue to be praying about that. But my heart for you is regardless of whatever you decide to do there, I want you to be people who hear from God. I want you to be people who understand that it's from glory to glory. It's through sacrifice and resurrendering. It is going to be that when you obey the voice of God for you and for your family and for all the aspects of your life, when you do that, you're going to get into the final frontier. You're going to get into what's really living and really being able to say, man, my God is awesome. You know, that you don't just sing about how God, how God is awesome or wonder, I wonder how God is awesome, except, or on the other extreme, is that you're going to experience it. You'll be able to say, yes, God is awesome, and this is exactly how he is. That's our journey. That's his call for our life, people. Christ followers. What else can we do when God has begun showing his favor upon us as a congregation? That God has brought us to a place where he says, look, you got a choice. Do you want to move on and grow or do you want to, 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 to be static and shrink? Do you want to take what I've given you as a wonderful gift and use it for my glory or do you want to just sit on it? Do you want to bury your talents or do you want to invest them? This is what is before us. And I don't know about you, but I suspect you're with me on this. But I want to hear the well, well done and good and faithful servant. I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to do something in a Kairos moment that means changing our region for good, for the kingdom of God. Oh, man, look, I know there are isms. I know that the world's got its plans. I know it's got its utopian vision. But that's not all in the heart of God. Nope. Don't believe the lie. No, there's only one kingdom. And there's only one king. He's on his throne, and he's coming again. And he has told each one of us, as his followers, to follow him, to move forward and expand his kingdom in his name. And we can do it. Let's stand up.